When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Just Your Tracking is brought to you by our friends over at the Criterion Collection. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I imagine that's very few of you who listen to this podcast, but the Criterion Collection is a very awesome boutique DVD and Blu-ray label, and they also have partnered up with Filmstruck, uh, a streaming service. But uh, I will be pointing out a few new Blu-ray releases coming down very soon from them that are our specific sponsors for this episode. Um, So catch that in a few minutes during my intro. But for now, just want to thank the Criterion Collection for supporting us over here at Adjust Your Tracking. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to a special hold-up edition of Adjust Your Tracking. I'm your host, Eric McClanahan, and it's just me on the mic here to start. Uh, No Joe on this episode. And uh, I'm here just to give you a little brief uh, context for this episode. Um, As I said, it's a special episode. We did one uh, about a month or so ago. That was another hold-up re-release edition. And for those who don't know, uh, Hold Up is a segment that me and Joe uh, love to bring back and use as much as possible for the podcast podcast. Mostly so it gives us an excuse to uh, revisit old movies that we're fond of. Um, but the the idea is that one of us chooses a movie from our past that we like usually or that we uh, we are you know burdened by. We're trying to figure it out. Does it hold up? That's the whole idea. So we revisit the movie to see if it's as good as we remember or if the problems that we're worried about still exist. So uh, lots to discuss in these episodes. And uh, as it works out for this one, I've picked a couple uh, picks, one of Joe's from the past and one of mine from the past that are loosely connected, but um, connected nonetheless by the uh, just their political and social relevance to right now, 2018 uh, in America, I guess, specifically. They're both American films, but um, kind of globally what's going on in the world, concerns, things going on, but uh, definitely uh, at heart American concerns. Um, so enough teasing. Uh, the movies are Pump Up the Volume from 1990 and Slapshot from 1977. Uh, my pick was Slapshot. Uh, we, I think we talked about it a couple years ago. And around the same time, uh, we discussed Pump Up the Volume, uh, which was Joe's pick. So both these movies uh, I found held up incredibly well. For those that have been following the show long enough to remember maybe when we did this episode or other times I brought it up, but Slapshot is in fact in my top five favorite movies of all time. So obviously I'm a big fan of this movie, but what really resonated uh, in this discussion I find uh, as I listen back to it uh, and makes it worth listening to now is just how relevant the movie is, the ideas, uh, the comedy still holds up even though it's very sort of mean-spirited and mostly deeply inappropriate. It's very much a a movie of its time slap shot, but I think it's just fantastic. And it's one of the great satires. Um, in my opinion, 
Uh, it's a great movie from my favorite era of filmmaking, the 70s, but uh, really it is just a sneakily subversive satire. And I think it's really on point. And, uh, you know, it never really gets mentioned as the best sports movie of all time, but it is that for me as well. So um, a lot of praise for Slapshot. That'll come in at the back half of this episode. You'll hear our chat from that. But to start, I'm going to let you uh, listen to uh, Joe, especially uh, Gush, but uh, Joe, you know, and me talking about Pump Up the Volume, uh, a movie from his past, but mine as well, but I had not watched in a long time. So um, that's where we're going to start the show. And uh, just briefly before we do uh, slide into that part of the show, the the actual proper uh, meat of this episode, as it were. I just needed to shout out those Blu-ray releases from Criterion from the Criterion Collection. So, uh, the two that specifically uh, are responsible for this episode are um, two recent Blu-rays from director G.W. Pabst. I only know of this guy uh, because of the movie Inglorious Bastards. Actually, if you remember, the Michael Fassbender character in that movie was a film critic, and he had referenced G.W. Pabst. And then with all the the sort of German cinema history from the time it wrapped up in that movie. He comes up uh, a few other times. So he's got two new releases, or there are two new releases from Criterion on Blu-ray for his films. Uh, one is West Front 1918. It's a World War One film, I believe, by Pabst. And then the other is a 1931 film from Pabst as well called Camera de Shaft. I might, I might be mispronouncing that, but... Uh, both films look great, and I feel like I'm just going to get a leap forward here in my film history education with these two releases. So cannot wait to see what Criterion has done with this in high definition. I mean, these are old, old films that uh, no doubt have been lovingly restored, as they usually do there at Criterion. So we thank them again for, for helping us put out these episodes of Adjusted Tracking. Look out for those movies and more that they're releasing at Criterion. You can just go to Criterion.com. Uh, also, check out Filmstruck if you'd rather stream all their titles. That is an option as well. So with that, we thank them again, Criterion. But uh, let's get you in. You're here for a reason. You're here to probably listen to me and Joe blab a little bit. We thank you for that. So why don't I let you do that? Uh, here's me and Joe starting with Pump Up the Volume. And then after that, will be Slapshot. Hope you guys enjoy. Let us know what you think. Thanks. Meanie, 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 meanie. Meanie, 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 meanie. Meanie, 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 meanie. Hold what? up. Wait a minute. Now just wait. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody think about it. Everything's polluted. The environment, Everybody the government, the schools, you name it. Good guys we were on uh, 92 FM tonight. It feels like a nice, clean little band. No one else is using it. Price is right. Are you listening to this? Yeah, of course I'm listening. There's nothing to do anymore. And all the great themes have been used up, turned into theme parks. So I don't really find it exactly cheerful to be living in a totally, like, exhausted decade where there's nothing to look forward to and no one to look up to. He's got a pirate radio station. Nobody knows who he is. I, I could be that anonymous nerd sitting across from you and when you turn around and he just looks away he never looks back at you again this is a song for the 90s you out there you listening all right so uh we wanted to we we announced in our last episode our latest edition our your latest pick uh for hold up which was of course pump up the volume which I forgot was from the year 1990. Why did I think it was an 80s movie? 
Well, it, that's it, it's interesting you bring that up. Like it hmm. came out in the summer of 1990, which for me personally was like it was a turbulent summer. It's the summer that my my family like picked up from California where we were living in the midst of a divorce, and my mom relocated us to Eugene, Oregon, which was like pretty depressing for me. But the first movie I saw in the theater, sneaking in, was Pump Up the Volume. My sister and her boyfriend at the time. Went to another movie. I was left on my own, so I snuck in to pump up the volume and uh, sunk down in the seat and just hoped that an usher wouldn't find me. And like, just the sense of I don't know. Like, there was just there was like rewatching it. um, I was just like, holy shit! So many of my interests intersect in this movie. Like, it's been with me for so long that I like I kind of took it for granted, or I just did the. I didn't see how clear it was right in front of me, but like monologuing, which is something that I do (laughs) and DJing are like both kind of like a huge part of this film, (laughs) the volume, which is about a pirate radio DJ who's a high schooler who himself has moved to a small town where he doesn't know anybody in Arizona. And he just starts kind of like calling out, into the night every night at 10 o'clock on his shortwave radio set. And uh, lo and behold, like people start tuning in, they start listening to what he thinks is just him talking to himself. But then people start kind of like clinging to everything he has to say. And so it's like this movie in 1990, like you mentioned it feeling like an eighties movie. Cause I think it's at that perfect midway point after the sort of like, explosion of 80s teen movies like the sort of like after john hughes after the breakfast clubs pretty and pink 16 candles there was like there was all of the the duplicate movies like all the movies that would like rip off john hughes but then like between it between that wave and then between the sort of like grunge slackery generation x there was like this middle period that I think Pump of the Volume perfectly kind of like distills, mm. you know, it's just like this, this earnestness from the eighties before it got hardened into this kind of like cartoonish cynicism. That's like kind of hard to look at now from the nineties. This like, yeah, nothing matters. Like it was before it reached this kind of like caricature of itself mm-hmm. in the sort of like slackery movies of like ninety. 192 onward right you know? right right <laughs> and like i don't know i just think that like in rewatching it 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 like holds this special place you know for me personally but it also is just like this moment in time that's like so earnest even though it, it is like kind of cynical and it's like this guy talking shit basically about the hypocrisy of the world around him and like that's cute at this point <laughs> it's like <laughs> all of those gripes are adorable and uh and yeah i don't know like it's it it's interesting to just like have this movie represent this moment in time that is almost entirely like it doesn't make sense anymore mm-hmm. no one would have a pirate radio show anymore people can just start a podcast the idea of monologuing is almost moot because like everybody's sharing their opinions all the time constantly through their like twitter updates through their own podcasts. Like it just seems like the individual voice kind of uh, uh, like being able to articulate the, like everybody's voices into this kind of uh, 
the I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore <laughs> moment. Like that just seems to be entirely watered down. And it's like, that's not good or bad. That's just like how the world is nowadays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's also like really refreshing to return to it, like a more simplified time where it was like people were hanging on the word of someone articulating what they were going through. Right, instead of playing it at half speed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Speed this up, Christian Slater. Get to the point. (laughs) I get it. I get it. I get it. You're mad. What else? else? Yeah. Um, I actually think you're not giving this movie enough credit because I think it's more prescient prescient today than than you're even saying because it it kind of rides that line of being adorably quaint and of its era like you're describing. But what I got out of it was the final moment of the movie is this sort of handoff of like, you can have a voice too. That's what I got out of this movie. It's a cheesy message maybe. Maybe it's not a message, but the movie is saying at the end that like, other people can be inspired by this thing that Christian Slater is doing and they can do their own thing too. And that is podcasting. That's what, that's why we are doing this show. Yeah. And sure it's watered down. That's, that's a way to put it and fair enough, but it's also, you know, everybody has a chance to do that. And in a lot of ways, pump up the volume is about that. And it makes Mm -hmm. it feel like, uh, I don't know if it'll be timeless, but it still works right now. And in today's context, it has like an adorable, it's like looking at an old 1950s science fiction movie and being like, oh, look at the concerns they had back then. But like the anxieties and there's certain things in the good ones, you could still, that's they still, still carry on and yeah. identifiable. Totally. The, the themes will resonate still. And I think they do for pump up the volume and um, the angry teenager movies, you know, you, you bring up another refreshing element of pump up the volume is that, you know, new line cinema put this out in, one of their their like sort of peak times where they were doing really interesting movies, you know, mm-hmm. made made rich by the Nightmare on Elm Street films, and they would do indies and work with interesting directors. I don't know if Alan Moyle, uh, director here for Pump Up the Volume, is necessarily an interesting director because I've never been a big fan of uh, Empire Records. Sorry for anybody that. Uh, That's so interesting. Yeah, he did that. He did Times Square earlier in the eighties, mm, right. and the Empire Records is one of those ones that like when generation X became sort of a cartoon. Yes. You know, like that's the perfect kind of, uh, embodiment of that cartoon. And well, like, like, that's the type of movie that's hard for me to watch now. Exactly. Like, yeah. Well, it's like the beginning of pump, uh, pump the volumes, the beginning of it. And then Moyle just self kind of put the end point on it with empire records of like, now it's officially, now it's officially like a caricature of itself kind of a thing. Like yeah. It is the cartoon reality now. Yeah, because th- there is like a, a weird earnestness to pump up the volume as like as oh, yeah. dark as some of the humor is. Like there's a, a sweetness and a sincerity to it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's like that that's really that like could be laughable, I think, to some dead hearted people. But I think it's, it makes <laughs> it really endearing. There was an interview with Harmony Kareen. Um, that Mark Maron did earlier this summer. Yeah, uh, great interview. Yeah. And he was talking about how, um, technology has kind of like, it's just not interesting to watch people problem solve with technology and how the, the basic storyline for kids, um, wouldn't make any sense now. Mm. Cause like the whole journey of kids is this character finding out that she's, She's contracted AIDS from another character in the movie, and it's about her hunting him down over the course of this like sweltering day in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so that whole journey, that whole drama, that whole thrust of the narrative, um, like 
would not make sense now because she would just text him, you gave me AIDS. And, like, <laughs> he did. and so nowadays, like there, like if there was some zeitgeisty thing where like there was a single voice that everybody took and like they inspired them to like be their own voice that they were looking for. Like there, there would be no, like this movie wouldn't exist because people would just be downloading the podcast, which would not be interesting to watch. The fact that people have to go to a certain spot and rally around um, like the, their ability to pick up the station, like on their car stereo, mm-hmm. you know, like there's something specific in space and time about that, mm-hmm. that I think is like lost nowadays and it's not good or bad, but it's just like, how do we make stories like this, like cinematic anymore? And there's just like a, a, a sweetness to the fact that like that's over kind of, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And this is a good example of that, you know, sometimes completely indefinable thing, but you're doing a good job of articulating it here is like pump up the volume represents that in a really positive way that I think I can see why it's a like why you wanted to do it as a hold up because it is actually kind of hard to find this movie um is that true I wonder so it's not streaming right it's not streaming anywhere that I could find I looked on all the usual channels I had to rent it on DVD at a video store in Portland (laughs) I wonder if it's a matter of uh soundtrack rights because that holds up a lot of hold up that holds up a lot of like kind of renewing so like if it's getting renewed for uh like you know a vod kind of streaming thing like they have to renegotiate all those rights which Mm -hmm. i think ends up sending a lot of stuff into limbo because there's just so much like red tape to go through where it's like oh you got to get clearance from all these people and we got to pay them for their song which is understandable but it's just like thinking about you know, everybody deserves to get paid for their stuff, but it's just like such a diverse soundtrack that I wonder if they're just having trouble clearing all of it all right. over again. A diverse and very, I mean, for the most part, really good soundtrack. I love the, uh, I love the Beastie Boys track, but I don't mm-hmm. love the Christian Slater dancing to the Beastie Boys track, which is some of the moments I think you were getting at that the movie very earnestly just does. It just wears its heart on its sleeve. Mm -hmm. And while I kind of wince at scenes like that, like him dancing and rapping, it's like Christian Slater believes in it. His character believes in it. And it doesn't feel false, even though, you know, it kind of looks cheesy to, yeah, more cynical 2015 set of eyeballs or, you know, brain or whatever. Um, the soundtrack is really good, though. I mean, there's there's uh, the Pixies' uh, Wave of Mutilation is really well used, um, which I had only really recognized that song being used in the Southland Tales trailer, which is right. an odd reference. But it actually made me think that Richard Kelly, the director of Southland Tales, and you know Donnie Darko, is probably a fan of this movie because I feel like the general angsty, earnest vibe that is so nineties, the concerns of this movie, like selling out is a big concern of this movie. Right. right. And that's so 1990. That's so cute. It's so cute that that was the 1990s. It was just so such a big deal. And yeah. I think Richard Kelly really taps into that with Donnie Darko being a period piece, you know, being yeah. set a few years right before this time. It's, it's a very like evocative time capsule, you know, having like some of the, the listeners wandering around with like, <laughs> battery-powered stereos while they walk <laughs> through the aisles of a video store. It's just right. like, holy shit, what a, like, time capsule this is. 
it's like that's the stuff that yeah you can maybe laugh at or might seem silly but no, that, that's right. that's my jam that's yeah my, that it, i'm like oh there it is it existed it was real <laughs> This really is a chicken or an egg situation here. Like, did this movie create the modern J. Jovan Oppen that I know and love? Or did it, or did it, or did you, you know, like, it, it's, it's a so very, that, I'm at a crossroads. My home in this movie, because I was already well on my way to being a shit-talking, tape-loving, you know, person. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Um, other shout-outs in this movie. Uh, Cliff Martinez did the score. Yeah. I didn't know he was working back in these days. Even though the movie's mostly a really great soundtrack, the his bits of score, it's like I mean, he's he's one of my favorite composers today. Very cool to see him his name pop up here. Yeah, for sure. Um a few other goofy things that I I feel like because as much as this movie really did charm me and and I think held up as a movie and though it's tough to find people should try to seek it out if they can is um a few a few other goofy moments I have to bring up because I think we'll get a good laugh out of it uh uh there's a moment where Christian Slater goes to pick up some mail his character has a secret like you know post office uh where people can write in you know that that quaint uh form of communication that used to exist he his disguise put on some sunglasses and then take yeah. him off as soon as he's leaving i thought that was adorable you don't want to confuse the audience if it's <laughs> too good it's just like well who's this oh it's christian okay. slayer oh uh, yeah yeah so that was really a uh, funny kind of goofy moment uh there's a reporter in this movie named shep shepherd Mm-hmm. For no other reason than it's just an amazing name, and he's a uh, he's an appropriately assholeish 1990s news reporter. You know, they're all cynical assholes in this day and age. Yeah, um, I found that really funny. And then, lastly, dude, the school principal character in this movie. So it was like the the cops <laughs> in Straight Outta Compton, basically. Yeah. So like. Mercilessly evil the entire time. You're like, what? What is going on? She says lines that, like, you know, this movie doesn't need to reflect reality, but like, um, she would have been fired many, many times over for the things that she tries to get away with in this movie. But it really gets at the like earnest vibe of this movie. It's all about like this is like a totalitarian regime now. So let's really portray that. Even though it's like the Hitchcock sort of reality of movies of like, you go for the idea, you're concerned more with the vibe you're going for, even though the sort of reality you are trying to, as a viewer, you might be taken out of it because it's so over the top. Yeah. I mean, I think she's just got that like Reagan era, like it's <laughs> it's all for the the presentation that we're doing great with the reality of actual people succeeding. She's like, it's all for the good of the school. (laughs) It's my school. (laughs) Yeah. She's, she's sort of like a warlock, you know, but uh, (laughs) yeah, she's representative of an, of an era. She's like up there with the Ronnie Cox from RoboCop villains, you know? Yeah, totally. She's also, she's like principal Skinner in the Simpsons, but without superintendent Chalmers, Uh, you know, just left to his own devices. And he became like a total, she does uh, have a henchman though. Like she's got like her, her sort of disciplinarian guy that goes around, punches a student. He punches a student at school. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's not even quaint. That's if you did that today, dude, you're in jail. Yeah, oh, by far. Yeah. yeah, like a lot of this movie, like just it now, we're just in such like interesting times for like restricted times, I'd say, or like you yeah, know censored, censored by not even like you know the the sort of powers that be. We're like self censoring to the point of like it's all well intentioned, you know this mm. this attempt to sort of police how we're talking, but it ends up being this weirdly 
straight jacketing suffocated by self-righteousness stuff that like <laughs> this movie seems to like fly in the face of. Cause he, he sort of gets his listeners by being outlandish kind of, you know, vulgar like PG 13 shock jockey sort of a thing. But like, yeah, yeah, it's just, we're in a new era of political correctness where everybody seems to be just like telling each other what they can and can't say on social media. And it's just like, well, this is going to have like an ugly backlash. I think it's some, and I think it already is, mm-hmm. you know, Agreed. now than ever in this chaotic time, we need a happy Harry hard on to cut through the noise and, and tell us how we're all full of shit. <laughs> exactly. So thank you, man. Thank you for making me watch pump up the volume again. It was a treat. Yeah, of course. Hey, Eric, before I thank you, I just want to remind everybody to eat their cereal with a fork and do your homework in the dark. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Uh, Dennis, uh, I know that some in our audience don't know the finer points of hockey. Uh, could you tell them, for example, uh, what is icing? Well, um, icing happens when uh, the puck comes down, bang, you know, before the other guys, mm-hmm. nobody there, you know. Mm-hmm. My arm go comes out, then uh, the game stops, then start up. Mm-hmm. I see. <laughs> uh, what is high sticking? High sticking happens when uh, the guy takes the stick, you know, and he go like that. You know, you don't do that. You don't do that? Oh, no, never, never. Why not? Against the rules. You know, you're stupid when you do that. Just some English pig with no uh, brain Dennis, at all, um, you know. What is uh, slashing? Slashing is um, like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a penalty for that? Yeah. Uh, and for a trip also, you know, oh. like that. And mm-hmm. for hook like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, for spear, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. All bad. Bad. You do that, you go to the box, you know, uh, Two minutes by yourself, and you feel shame, you know, mm-hmm. and then you get free. Uh, the Chiefs are at home tonight against Cyanusport at the War Memorial at 8. Good seats are still available. Well, Hold Up is a segment that we we take movies that are beloved to us. That um, it started off originally as like something was critically questionable about the movie. Like they it either got... Um, bad reviews coming out. It didn't get any sort of like attention from audiences. Like something is just sort of like conflicting about the movie's reputation Mm -hmm. that even though we love it, there's something, there's something amiss. And so we use the other person as a critical counterpoint to pick apart why we love it and whether the movie holds up or not. Mm -hmm. And so your pick was a, from what? 1977, 77. Yep. Uh, slap Yes, and yes. George Roy Hill. George Roy Hill. Uh, hockey movie. One that I feel like it's come up in several episodes because I always bring up Young Blood. Yes. Um, <laughs> as a hockey movie, as a joke, kind of. Yeah. Um, if you want to anger a true hockey player, like, or someone that grew up playing hockey, I mean, I have buddies. Young like, blood. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you say Young Blood over Slapshot. Although I'm saying that. Uh, maybe, top three hockey movies Young Blood, Mighty Ducks, maybe Slapshot. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's going to lead to punching holes in walls, you know, yep. when, when that happens. And and the reason is is because 
Um, as I said on the last podcast, when I just sort of introduced this as our next talking point is, um, and it, it shows the evolution of this segment for us because this movie is not critically panned. It, it, right. It's got a very high Rotten Tomatoes rating still. Mm-hmm. It's on a lot of um, greatest sports movie lists. And that's the key for me is that where I want to angle how we talk about it or look at it is, to me, this isn't just a great sports movie. It's gotten lost in the shuffle because... Um, that's how people sort of think about it and they they compartmentalize it and they kind of leave it alone. But to me, this is one of the great comedies and one of the great satires, not only of the seventies, but for me, just of all time, like this is, uh, this is one of my all time favorite films. Like I'm, I've of late been sort of trying to compile my top 100, just really nerdy, like list making obsession I've had. And I'm, I know it seems daunting, but I'm already at like 250. So like. It's not as bad as you think, but what I what I came to realize and and it's slapshot was the big realization for me is you know, I started out making the list and sort of you do this thing where you're like, well, what are the movies that I think, you know, you you maybe you want to like have someone look at it and be like, "Ooh, they've seen M or they've seen uh, you know, some, some arty movie. I love M by the way. It is one of right. my favorite movies, but so that's not a great example, but maybe you will high, you might rank a movie that you, that you really think is great, but you don't genuinely love, you know, high in a, in a list like right, that. Because and, it's like esteemed and it's yeah. like the, the sort of like critically favored movie. It's like it's in college. You're probably prone to like picking those movies. Exactly. Like, exactly. It's, it's my favorite Truffaut movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. But in your bone marrow, do you love this movie? Yes, exactly. What me and uh, an old friend of mine would always say is like, okay, you know, seven samurai, it's a masterpiece, but do you really want to put that movie on all the time? Do you really want right. to sit and watch that movie? Maybe yeah. you do. And if you do, then put it in your, your greatest movies of all time. For me, I kind of realized that, and it was with Slapshot, but it was also, interestingly, with Vertigo, the Hitchcock movie. I think, for me, Psycho is my favorite Hitchcock movie. But I was starting this list, and I'm like, well, I gotta have Vertigo up there. It's it's so great. And then I thought about it, and I'm like, no, no, no. Says Vertigo. who, you know, like... Yeah, says who, yeah, exactly, like... um, You know, so I had to, I had to rearrange it. I had to, you know, think about it. And I, I'm thinking about it, and then I'm like, you know what? I watched Slapshot right before I started this list. And I was like, I I can't deny how much I love this movie. Like from second five to the end of the credits, I just think this is about as perfect of a comedy, a sports movie as you can put out there. And I just adore this movie. So now having said all that, I would love to know what you thought, Joe. But yeah, it doesn't sound like you're conflicted in any way, shape, or form about this movie. I'm, I, uh, well, I will say I'm only conflicted in the sense that I want to know what some like. I respect your opinion, and I just want to know what you think about it. And if you think it is um, even like you know, George Ray Hill himself has made some classics like Butch Cassidy and The Sting. Um, you know, he's won he won yeah. the Oscar for Sting, The Sting. Um, but to me, this is like. This is the movie that he should have won Oscars for, that he should have be known for, but it's only known in certain circles. It's it's as if I'm saying people don't like this movie enough. So I yeah. guess I'm not conflicted, but yeah, you're right. But still, having said well, that, yeah. Well, I think what what helps it stick is that like there's there's just something unusual about about it. Is that there's like there's a weird pacing, which I think was just signature of like the 1970s. Totally. There was just a sense of like a sense of space and room 
and like just weird desolation. Like the, the film takes place, you know, following a hockey team in a, in an industrial town that's closing its, its factory. And so like everything's kind of, you know, falling apart in the community, mm. which reflects the times, the exact era that we were discussing earlier in this episode, mm-hmm. you know, the, just the sense of decay and the sense of like demoralization that was like just constant in the seventies where we weren't. And we real weren't quick, um, if I can just jump in real quick, it, yeah. it points out, this is also is exactly what you're saying is this is a Paul Newman movie. This is a big Hollywood movie. It's a, it's a sports movie. It's a but comedy, it's but it's weird as fuck. It's so weird. And it's so yeah. inappropriate. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's vulgar in this way. That's like, that's, that's still really endearing. And it reminded me um, earlier in the year I watched, you know, maybe for the first time, you know, it, and it's, same way with like Rocky. When I saw that, I was like, I feel like I know this movie, but I watched the bad news bears. Oh yes. And great, like, great that's, example. that's an interesting kind of like PG, um, version of like the same film where it's like, you have these people who are just like, kind of like grizzled and like ha- have this ability. Like Walter Matthau is the coach of this group of misfits. And he like, that's all he knows how to do. It's coach. It's all he knows how to do. And he's like miserable and he's just like beat up and tired of it, but it's like it's all he knows how to do. And he like he's not even doing it that well for a, a large stretch of the movie. And the first, the opening ten minutes of the movie is just him drinking at his car and introducing <laughs> himself to the kids, not well. And it was just like, what the fuck? Like the sense of like, I don't the time it took and Slapshot's the same way. Like it takes its time to sort of like build its world. And it's not driven by this like engine of jokes, which it has plenty of like, there's, there's, you know, like there's, there's goofy characters, there's caricatures, you would argue. There's there's slapstick. There's like, there's all sorts of broad comedy notes it's hitting, but it's also weird and sad and bruised and just like, and, and interesting, and it's like the most like Paul Newman is is an institution, you know. Like he's just somebody that you kind of not take for granted, but he's just like, ah, he's always there. He's my dad's actor, you know what I mean? No yeah. Dad, he, well, he literally was my dad's actor. He was. He, yeah, but it's just like I've never. So you, I, I just figure like, yeah, that's that's somebody else's like actor, but he's like I've never seen him this likable in something. Oh, and nice. he's like he's he's just like. This this weird character, you can't get a beat on what his motivation is, yes. and so he's just like squirrely and kind of like a, a kind of kind of a scumbag. But you're just like, oh yeah. But he's driven by you hope some greater purpose. So I think like what's interesting and what makes this movie stick for you is that it doesn't follow like a normal comedy would just go beat by beat and be an engine for jokes. And then it just like, kind of like what I was talking about with star Wars, like once it's over, it just rinses off, you know, it's just like, and you'll reflect fondly on it and you'll just be like, it was good. I liked it, but you may not want to come back to it. And what keeps you coming back to this movie is it's weird beats is it's weird, like sense of sadness at its core and the, the weird space it takes and the characters interacting in a scene that doesn't necessarily lead to a big payoff in the end. Right. You know, and like (laughs) that, that song that it keeps keeps coming up that like, we got such an evocative, happy up song, but it's not at all reflecting what's happening in the movie, but it still like satisfies that where you're just like, 
yeah, yeah, totally. This song. Oh, oh but this movie's kind of weirdly depressing in, in the midst of like these big jokes, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I exactly. I love that track, um, that song. I can't remember who sings it, but it is such a great song. And it's like now <clears throat> I when I rewatched it recently and, you know, just had this We'll end with that song. How about that? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> when I when I just got this hit of like like oh yeah it like i can't think of the song without thinking of a big hockey bus just speeding down the road (laughs) you know and it just fits so perfectly and i love uh, so much of what you're saying it's really cool to hear that like you 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 know like you had a good experience watching it and and thought it was a good comedy and yeah i like i laughed out loud which isn't unusual for me by myself but it was like it is kind of unusual, you know, because you like <laughs> yeah. a lot of times when you're by yourself, you don't feel the the infectious, like contagious, like laughter of a room. Yeah. You know? So you'll just be like, <laughs> yeah. But I would like find myself be like, ah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Moments. This movie makes me cackle out loud, like continuously, so much so that my girlfriend was like getting annoyed watching it with me because yeah, I'd be like, oh, just wait, now this part's gonna happen. Like I was that annoying guy Oof. remembering the scenes. It, it is tough. I felt terrible for doing it. She actually rewatched it with me because I promised I'd behave myself. And uh, uh, I think I did better the second you time. You could also be the person who's just staring, waiting for the person's reaction. That's also very troublesome. This is true. That is. That's true. That's that's maybe a talk for a whole nother day, I think, there. But, yep. Um, but yeah, is this this movie makes me laugh so hard. And, and I think you really nailed it. And I hadn't thought about it is the sort of grab bag of comedy. You've got, you do have slapstick. I mean, you have a scene where a player winds up a slap shot and fucking drills the organ player in the head off yes. screen way up in the ba- the, like the, and it works. It like, works it, great. Like it works in, in the midst of like other just weird, <laughs> Like darkly comic moments. Yeah, and it works. And it it's is, like at this point we should, you know, give give a trigger warning that there's a, an awful lot of homophobic language in the film. Oh, absolutely. That was commonplace of the era and yeah. of like sports in general. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you. I mean, I grew up in hockey locker rooms. Th- those kind of words just get bandied about. Suzanne sucks pussy. It, it doesn't ruin the movie because, no, oh, now it's aged in this way. To me, it just makes it more, like, lively and dangerous. And, like, we are lacking danger in movies these days. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, I mean, even the movies we praised just before this, I love that dangerous quality of this movie. But you can even go from a slapstick, a slapstick moment like that where the guy gets hit in the head with a puck. And... One of my favorite moments in the movie is about 40 minutes later, there's a callback to that where Paul Newman is pissed that the organ player is playing some uh, like Our Lady of Spain, some really like song he doesn't like. And he goes up there and you cut to the organ player and he's wearing a hockey helmet suddenly. And it's like, 
it's simple. It's a visual gag. And I bet 50% of the audience probably misses it because we're just not paying enough attention, you know? And I love that a movie would squeeze in 10 seconds for a callback to that on a gag that it's like a, it's like elevating the slapstick to a whole nother level. And I think this movie is filled with things like that. And it does have these caricatures, like the French goalie. I'm sure you're thinking of in in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that he's a uh, he's he opens this the movie with a very hilarious scene where he's being interviewed by a reporter, and he he kind of tells him about like the rules in hockey, and it's it's hilarious. But it's like you know you look at that with 2015 eyes, and it's like why does the French guy have to be such a cliche, like a character of a French right. guy? But I don't think it ruins the movie. I just think it it leaves it in this time capsule. And I, I think that that's really interesting. But I, I did want to get into what you were saying about the Paul Newman character is he's a very fascinating character in this movie because you really don't know what his motivation is. And I think that's by design. I think he doesn't know what his motivation is. Yeah. Except that he wants to he wants to inspire his players, but never for um, it's always a very narcissistic decision he's making in the movie. And you would even reference that he's a bit of a creep. He's mm-hmm. very much like he's a sleazeball and he's kind of looking out for himself. Like he's hitting on this uh, wife character of uh, there's this whole dynamic in the movie where the best player on his team is married to this woman and they're very unhappy in their marriage. Mm-hmm. And Paul Newman is attracted to her. And he's at through most of the movie, you kind of get the sense that, well, he'd love to just go to bed with this woman and he would not turn it down if he gets the chance. But what I like is it doesn't go there. And by the end of the movie, he's he's kind of unfortunately dragged them into his sort of um, his narcissistic sort of singular worldview. He's kind of pulled the team into this very dark realm by the end of the movie. But it didn't go where you you worry it's going to go. He ends up kind of in a sort of roundabout way doing the right thing by that character. You know, he helps her out when she needs it. And I like that the movie can just be that complicated and be that ambiguous about you know, nowadays, everybody's worried about how do you feel about it? Do you like what's happening? You know, reassure everybody. And I think that gets into talking about what makes a movie safe and what makes it dangerous. Is yeah. There's no sense in this movie that George Roy Hill and especially Paul Newman gave two fucks about what the audience was going to worry about his character or the story. They they just wanted to tell the best story they could. And I really think they did it with this film. And it's it's funny as hell. The hockey action is legitimately good because everybody could skate. Paul Newman included. Like, these guys could play. And, um, yeah, you know, it's got those... It's inappropriate. It's got that... It's got straight-up racism in it. It's got racist humor. It's got uh, homophobic humor. But um, I'd be lying if I said... If I didn't admit to laughing at that stuff. But not because I think that that's okay. But just because it's like, I can't believe that, like, this was okay at one point. And... It it works, but it doesn't work, and I like all of those mixed emotions with this movie. Yeah, the fact that there are mixed emotions and there's not some clean arc of like you're feeling how you're intended to feel, yeah, and then you walk away and it rinses off. Like there, there's the same sense, like you know, watching the Bad News Bears, which like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What other contexts like that movie is going to come up? I'm not going to pick it for a hold up segment necessarily because I don't feel like I saw it until like late in my life. But like yeah. that movie, there's hard moments in it. There's weird, unusual, depressing shit in in the Bad News Bears, and I feel like they're they're good cousins of each other in a, in a weird way because they're both sports movies. They both sort of deal with that 
that battered and bruised lead character where you don't know what's driving them, but that's, this is all they know how to do. And like, that was America at that point. It was just like, we got to keep going no matter how corrupt and fucked up everything gets. Like, you just got to keep going. And like bad news bears, it's a, it's a group of like misfit kids and like, it doesn't work out, you know, like he throws a beer in like his, you know, one of his ex-girlfriend's daughter's face. And he's like, get out of here. And you're just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, there's such a savagery to that moment that, like, at this at this vantage point, you know, at, at this point in, like, 2015, I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's brutal. And it was intended to be. And, like, that's okay. Like, that's, that's okay. okay. This is this character. And we're going to take it. We're going to take it there. And, like, how, we're going to have to deal with it. And it's not some clean experience of where we know what's coming next. And like, you know, there's, there's, there's the predictable payoff and then we all walk away and forget everything. You know what I mean? Like there are these weird, unusual moments that I feel like are largely missing. You know, like what you're talking about with like movies that just aren't dangerous anymore. Like I feel like they, they should be because we're, we're not living in a safe world as much as we would like to box ourselves in as much as we like want to feel like we we are and like you know i i would like everybody to feel good and safe at large but i want us to deal with like the world that we're living in and have it be reflected and not just purely escapist fan appeasing work you know yeah here here so the last thing i just want to ask you about with this movie is um well, what do you think about the ending? And I guess I'll lead you into it by asking, do you find this to be a happy ending for the movie? No. Okay, good. Because I think a lot of people forget the ending of this movie. I'm not going to say people misunderstand it, but I think there there is that element there. I remember growing up with this movie, watching it with my teammates, and they all kind of like tuned out in the last 10 minutes because Because you're in a traditional sports movie payoff exactly exactly. and then it just sort of like segues into a concluding moment that's equally unresolved and you're like ooh weird yeah and like that's what i think makes the movie stick is just like like huh oh that's like i don't i don't feel bad necessarily but i don't know how to feel and i think when people have that ambiguity they switch gears they don't want it. They don't want to live in that ambiguity, which is where we're living right now. Like yeah. we live in wildly ambiguous times. Yeah. We don't know where anything's going. <laughs> we don't know how we feel about anything. And it's just like, shouldn't our art ask us to confront that? Yeah, I agree. Our biggest art, our most, you know, like Even the big movies, entertainment. Because like Slapshot yeah. was like, it's intended most likely as a, it's intended as a comedy. So yeah. it's. Its main purpose is to entertain. So, it, but it still asks you to like look at this crazy, complicated, fucked up world full of weird, deceitful, scumbaggy people. Like right. here, here it is, and here we are. In and it. here we are. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, man. Um, well, that that I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, you, you thought that, and and just to hear that about the, your thoughts on the ending, because to me that's where the satire really comes to life at the end of the movie is, um, is really the look at where hockey was going at that time, and I'm not going to get super specific about it, but like, it, yeah, I, <laughs> I won't, I promise, but it really reflects. It uses the way the game was changing at that time in the 70s. It really was becoming a, 
a box. It was becoming a freaking circus where people only wanted to go there for the fights. And I still think by and large, hockey is not a very popular sport, at least not in America, Mm -hmm. because people only really think of it as, oh, maybe I'll see a fight. And I I just want to say that hockey is a beautiful game if you just give it a chance and the game can be played the right way. Like, you know, in Slapshot, when they say uh, old time hockey, when they talk about that. Uh-huh. That's that's what they're talking about is like it's a really be- it's an art in itself when you see the game played in the way it's supposed to without any of the fight bullshit it's it's a wonderful thing and I love that Slapshot was reflecting that but also using it as we've talked about to reflect on the times it was in and it's a, a surprisingly still relevant in the way that it wants to deal with things that it's like watching it now is like a reminder that like why can't other big comedies with movie stars in it also have the balls to do that. I'd really love to see that. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you like this one. Um, and, uh, yeah, I hope more people see it. It's very easy to find. Um, I don't know where it's streaming, but you know, it's on DVD and Blu-ray, I think. So, yeah, I think um, it's only available like to rent. It's not available okay. like, as a like, as a free stream on like Netflix or anything like that. Right, it's on the the VOD channel, so like Google Play and uh, YouTube has Prime a, yeah, and video. Exactly, uh, iTunes probably. So yeah, look around and just if you've never seen it, give it a chance. If you saw it and just thought whatever, like it might be worth going back to. So yeah, yeah. you watch Major League on Netflix though, if you want. I did watch Major League a couple weeks ago on Netflix. It's pretty good. That's, it is good. It's it's like cheesy, but it's that's how you do a good mainstream. That's a good eighties comedy. A yeah, good eighties sports sure. comedy. Yes. All right. Well. Well. With that, my friend, why don't we wrap up this episode? <laughs> 